You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We're the Fantasy Joes. I am at Roto Librarian, Ryan Livergood. And joining me this evening, first of all, from the home office in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's a guy I like to refer to as Trader Will because he's back. He's in, uh, we're all in a league together and he is blowing it up with trades. Trader Will, I've got a question for you. What's the best trade you feel you've made in your dynasty leagues this off season? Uh, I would say the most fun one that I did was in our league room together. It was the deal for Andrew Luck where I got Andrew Luck, Matt Breida and DJ Sharp, uh, 12 team Superflex, Superflex at PPR for Daniel Jones, Philip Lindsay, Damian Williams, in the 2021st. Uh, I don't think either team won this trade. I want to look luck as a border round first, uh, first round startup player uh, for Superflex, And he wanted RBs and picks uh, and some youth. Thus Daniel Jones was in there. And I just think I'm in a good position to, uh, I mean, make moves in the future. Anybody who's been in the league with me, I do try to move around quite a bit. I uh, really enjoy and probably addicted uh, to, to, to making moves and playing around with things oh, uh, almost to a fault, if not to a fault. But that, that was really fun. Just the kind of conversation going back and forth, the roller coaster of trade emotions, I mean, on my end, like, oh, I'm never paying more than that. Okay, I'll pay a little bit more. No, I'm never paying more than that. Okay, well, maybe if somehow I get some like, weird player like Matt Breida back, I'll somehow care more. And that's kind of how we ended up there. Nice. Anyway, the other one is uh, I've acquired Alvin Kamara in a couple of places. One was, was with Trey, and it was Josh Jacobs and Leonard Fournette in a 2022nd for Kamara. And the other one was a, that was a 14-team Superflex. And then one was a 1QB 12-team full PPR traded Julio and Fournette for Camara. I was very excited about both of those. Uh, I, I like the, the roster spots open, uh, and I'm still pretty excited about Camara. I feel like uh, he's kind of a, like a, a top-tier player that uh, you've, I've been able to get, I guess, in, in, in multiple leagues. So it's been really interesting to me. Yeah, it is interesting. That's exciting to get one of those league guys like that. From North Carolina, <laughs> it's Trey Barrett. Trey, how are you? What about you? What's the trade you feel you've made in your dynasty league this offseason, the best trade or the trade you're most excited about anyway. Man, there's so many. I, I've, I've made quite a few moves. Um, I, I probably, you know, there's one trade where I essentially, um, it's a half PPR league and I had Chris Godwin. I've got a few shares of Chris Godwin that I was trying to unload. And so I ended up essentially trading Chris Godwin and Stefan Diggs. I was trying to find a trade, but I couldn't find it. Um, it's a league that transitioned to sleeper uh, with uh, with our very own Jake Patterson. But I traded Stefan Diggs and Chris Godwin, I believe, for Amari Cooper and the 105. And I ended up – it's a super flex league. I ended up packaging the 105 and the 201 to come up to 102 and take Josh Jacobs, who, who's a running back that I'm very excited about. And, and I'm, I'm acquiring a few shares where I can – this off season, I, I'll tell you though, by and large, maybe not a particular trade like that, but I've been making a lot of moves from guys that I feel like are just getting really, you know, Kamara is a guy I've traded away in a couple leagues. Like I really like Alvin Kamara. I think he's really good, but you know, these guys that start spiking up to the top four, top five that, you know, like he just had a monster touchdown season that I just don't know that he can repeat. So, you know, it's the same thing we talked about a couple off seasons ago when Mike Evans was like the number one overall pick and, David Johnson was right up there. You know, the, these guys that kind of spike up from the late first or early second to the very top of the first round, there's just so much variability. If you look back 12 months ago, 
the, those top four or five guys that are considered to be like elite, elite assets. Um, and, you know, like the trade with Will was perfect because he really wants some Camara shares. I've got a lot of Camara. I wanted to diversify a little bit. And, you know, Jacobs and Fournette are both guys I'm acquiring this offseason. So it's just been fun. I, I love making trades this time of year, capitalizing on guys that are overvalued or undervalued. Um, so. And plant, planting some flags. That's what makes it fun. This is a good time for me to introduce our very special guest. We have the one and only Scott Connor joining us at Charles Chill FFB. You can find him everywhere. He's got a couple of podcasts he hosts, host of the Dynasty and Chill podcast, which is relatively new, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, even newer is the Dynasty Scope podcast, which he co-hosts. And he is a staff analyst at Dynasty Command Center. And interestingly, um, also on his resume, Scott, you got the two-time FFPC made of it champion on your resume. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. And yeah, the FFPC thing is, I like to say, that's kind of what I focus on in the non-Dynasty season, which is these days, pretty much Dynasty is 12 months a year. But yeah, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, I have a lot going on right now that I've kind of been launched over in the last couple months and really just trying to get into the podcast space more, uh, get out there and kind of get some of my content out there on the airwaves. So thanks for having me again on the show. And I'm excited to share my favorite trade that I've made this off season. Cause it's a big one. So you guys need to sit back and kind of get ready for me to break it down. So are you ready for it? I'm going to sit back and chill and listen to the big trade. Oh, boo, Perfect. That joke. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I gave up Saquon Barkley. So that's the first thing I have to preface by saying, anytime you give up Barkley, you're probably going to lose the trade poll on Twitter. So I'm not sure how Twitter <laughs> would vote on this, but just to preface the trade, it is a 12 team super flex. It is a point per carry, so it's 0.25 point per carry, and it's 1.75 PPR for tight ends. And you start 12 players, so it's a pretty deep league with deep starters. And I gave up Barkley, also gave up Lamar Jackson, which in a super flex point per carry you know, is a premium quarterback to have. I know a lot of people aren't a fan of him, but in that format, I love, you know, I love smashing Lamar Jackson in drafts last year just in that type of format because he really, you know, the last six weeks of the season, I mean, he was a top six, top seven score in that format. Uh, but I gave up Barkley, Lamar Jackson, and then a couple throw-in pieces, the 209, the 308, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And here's the haul that I got back. I got back David Johnson, Cam Newton, DJ Moore, the 106, which was TJ Hawkinson, and a 2021st. So a pretty decent haul, which I think really sets my team up to contend this year, but it also gave me some more building block pieces that essentially that's what I've been looking for with Saquon ever since I drafted him last year. So I finally got to cash out. That's the first Saquon trade where I made where I was actually giving him up. So I was proud of that haul, but what do you guys think? I'm trying to digest all the pieces. Um, the first two that you named, the DJ, um, John, DJ Moore and DJ Johnson, right? David Johnson, Cam Newton, DJ or Moore, TJ Hawkinson, and a 2021st. So essentially five pieces for, you'd say two and then some throw-ins. Yeah. I think two of those pieces, David Johnson and Cam Newton are like, I, th I think David Johnson's primed to have a really big year this year. I think in the Arizona offense, maybe I'm just getting really hyped about the Arizona offense. So I love that piece, especially for the next couple of years. I think Cam Newton is just a stud and people forget that they're scared off by the, the shoulder injury. And then DJ Moore. Oh, I love me some DJ Moore. I, I have so many shares of DJ Moore. So no, I, I think it's exciting. I, I think it's, it's fun and it's bold, and I, I, I think it's an interesting trade. I agree you gave up some premium pieces, and 
as you say, Lamar Jackson in that format is, is a tough guy to give up. But I think I like it on the surface. It's one of those things I'd have to sit down, though, Scott, and really think about like how I like look at it on a paper. Because that's a big boy deal. That's, that's a huge trade. So what do, you, what do you guys think? Trey, Will? Sit down, have a cup of green tea. You know, really, really dive into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm for it. I, I, so, you know, Scott, uh, I, went, I went to Iowa, so I'm a huge Hawk fan. Uh, in a 1.75 per reception, I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he's going to be a little bit underperforming in year one, though, just like a lot of rookie tight ends. I don't see him bursting on the scene, but hopefully. You know, I really hope so. But the rest of the pieces, uh, Lamar Jackson and Saquon Barkley, they're probably, I mean, there's a, a probably 50-50 shot of them outscoring uh, DJ and uh, Cam. Like, I don't see that as for at least the near future, that being a big loss in production overall. That Giants offense is scary. And especially if Daniel Jones takes over any point this year, he's a running quarterback. And you know what that does to running backs with dump off passes. That could take away a good amount of PPR production there. So in the near future, you know, you're selling, at least in my opinion, this, is, this could potentially be Saquon's peak. You don't really go higher than number one overall, right? Uh, and you're buying a little bit older assets, which is fair. Lamar Jackson has a lot of risk, so you're mitigating that with Cam. Because then Cam's going to come back pretty strong. And we already know that he's a stud. He can finish his QB1 overall. Uh, DJ Moore, you know, and pairing that with Cam, so you have that stack if you're holding that for this season, I really enjoy. And his, his run after catch uh, is only, I think, going to get better this year, along with his route running and skill level and, in general, uh, meshing with Cam there. So I can't remember what the last piece was. It was Hawk, who was a stud in a 2021. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not overly passionate on one side or the other. I just like it. Like, that's a fun deal to make on both sides. Yeah, and truthfully, to add – to it you know I expected that I had already mapped out this this trade took place back in March and so I'd already mapped out what I think would happen in the draft and I was actually set that I was going to be able to get a running back at 106 uh, but it ended up being that you know Sanders Jacobs and David Montgomery all went in the top five so I was kind of stuck at that 106 and I was pretty weak at tight end and Hawkinson was the next player on my board um, but I would have actually liked the deal a lot more if I could have got Montgomery at 105, but he, or at 106, but he went at 105. So that, that really would have sealed the deal if I could have added another running back in the point per carry, because mm-hmm. typically in that format, I want to start as many running backs as I can. But either way, I was happy with it. And I think it gives me more flexibility going forward. I know we're going to talk. There was a question about 2020 picks and if they're overvalued or not, but I think it gives you more flexibility going on later in the year when you have more of those picks in your, uh, asset chest that you can trade away during the season yeah absolutely i do think the fantasy joes are one of the first podcasts to break that potentially tj hawkinson was going to be a higher drafted tight end than noah fan and that was my game i watch all the iowa games no matter how bad they are <laughs> uh trey what do you think i like it i i think you know you're you're buying some some nice assets there that i think are going to spike in value i think <clears throat> Cam Newton, um, David Johnson, and DJ Moore are all going to have really nice seasons, like, you know, top 12 seasons. Um, and, and I think that DJ Moore, I think, is going to really skyrocket in value. And, and you know, um, Cam Newton's been a buy low all off season ever since the quote came out about he might have to have surgery uh, or that he had a procedure, you know, with everyone with the Andrew Luck fear um he he's just been going really late in superflex startups and just being kind of ignored so i love acquiring him and and david johnson sells a couple good years left you know saquon barkley i I mean 
a year ago, people would have thought you were nuts for trading Todd Gurley and, and look where we've come. And I mean, I, I'm not trying to say Saquon Barkley's going to, you know, all of a sudden have these arthritic knees, but we've talked about this a couple months ago. Anytime someone is a lock number one overall pick in any format, it's time to trade them because their value can do nothing but go down. Um, and, and again, especially if you can get that inflated value. I mean, Saquon Barkley is probably going to have a little bit of a down year this year. I'm still, he's still going to be probably a top five or six running back as far as production. But, you know, him, him being treated as this, like, perfect, flawless asset, I think is probably just a little bit overdoing it. So I'm all about selling guys like that when you can, when, when their value has pretty much peaked. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes, right, in, in super flex leagues. You know, he, his value – is going to – it's got nowhere to go but down, right? I mean, is he the quarterback one still in 12 months? Probably, but is he going to put up video game numbers in the second season, especially missing Tyreek Hill potentially for half of the year or more? I mean, so I love the deal. I think Hawkinson in a one seven five, you know, PPR for tight ends is going to be a, a great piece. The 2021st obviously is – going to do nothing but gain value. And like you said, it's going to give you um, a nice trade chip uh, in season if you need to add assets to, you know, bump your team over the top. So, and, and anytime you can get five startable assets, because that 2021st next year will likely be a startable asset. Anytime you can get five startable assets for two in a, in a league where 144 players are being, being required to be started every week, that's what's huge to me. You know, I mean, when you're starting a lineup, plugging David Johnson and Cam Newton in instead of Barkley and Lamar Jackson is going to do very, very little damage to your overall scoring week in and week out this year. And, and so now you've got additional starters for down the road, DJ Moore for this year. And so I like it. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of diversifying. You know, some, some guys like to really go out and buy studs. And in some instances I do, but with, with deep starting lineups, I love to, to diversify and, and spread out. So I, I like the deal. And I think, I think DJ Moore is an asset that could acquire value before the start of the season, where if you want to move him for other pieces, that's a great, great chip to have in the back pocket. Yeah, and I think uh, one good point is that you, you mentioned that, so it's a 12-team league where you're starting 12 players, and obviously you're going to try to start two quarterbacks in the Superflex, but that's still 120 skill player starters between running backs, receivers, and tight ends that you're starting each week. And in a point per carry league, you know, I try to start, I mean, Trey knows, I try to start as many running backs as I can in that format. And so if I can turn a Saquon Barkley into three, you know, running back twos or better, you know, I'm preferring that type of deal more in that format than if it's only, you know, a start nine or 10 league where I can maybe only start a max of like four running backs. So I think the format really, really does add more context to this trade just on a surface. That's why I mentioned before about the Twitter deal. You might put this on Twitter and people see Barkley and they immediately vote on that side, but there was a method behind why I looked for a package like this. And this team just happened to be somebody that was willing to pay. So I'm going to tell you guys about, it's a smaller deal, but one of my favorite deals, because it, because it brings me a, we'll bring up a question I have for you guys. So recently I made a deal. It's a full point PPR league. I had Golden Tate, guy that I, I was thinking, I, you know, I'm not really excited about him this year, but I can't really sell him for much. And then I got an offer, um, Latavius Murray for Golden Tate. So I looked at it and I thought, okay, I know the arguments for Golden Tate. I know there's, there theoretically will be targets there. 
in New York. Um, you know, he, he look at his production that he's done over the past years, but the guy turns 31 in August and it's a new team. And I get to see that team just totally going off the rails and golden Tate just kind of diminishing and just disappearing. I mean, he's a, he's at that age, right? 31 years old. And I thought with Latavius Murray, I think he's going to be at the very least a guy you could throw in the flex and play and, and potentially he could be huge if heaven forbid something ever happens to Elvin Kamara. So but my question is this. You guys can talk about that, that deal, what you think about it. But another league, someone, I, I traded Golden Tate because someone reached out to me and wanted Golden Tate, and that surprised me. Are there any guys that, that, that you, you've seen that there's a little bit of a market for that surprised you this offseason? Because that just surprised me that Golden Tate, with his age, new team and everything, that people were actually reaching out to me wanting to acquire him. Are there, are there any players like that that you, you guys have, have, have seen or observed? And the panel is silent, so apparently not. <laughs> I just was surprised, you know, and, and, and these are dynasty leagues, that, you know, in this format. That I mean, I, I can see being maybe thinking that he has potential to surprise um, based on what he's done in his career and the targets that are there in New York. But I don't know. I was surprised that. Yeah, I, I guess I just haven't seen a lot of deals go down in leagues that I'm in for like like a Marvin Jones, you know, type of, type of character. Some guy's probably going to have some really good production for your team but is, is older and is unpopular. Like, un, he's not really like flashy or sexy to have on your team uh, on, on a different level. And we talked about it le- like last week too. I've just been scooping up Adam Thielen shares everywhere. I think one thing to, to point out with the deal you just mentioned is when I look at these deals, you know, I typically am looking at trades in the off season as I try to be really player agnostic when it comes to trades and I'm strictly looking at it as value only until we get to maybe like a week before the season. And I know people will say, you know, you need to set up things a little bit prior to that, but I really don't think so. I mean, I look at that deal and you say, what narrative could I write where you could see Golden Tate's value ever explode any higher than where it is right now, or, you know, maybe 10% higher from, you know, early later in the season from where it is right now. But that's about the ceiling you could see for him. Whereas Latavius Murray, I mean, yeah, right now he's technically a handcuff, probably one of the top three handcuffs in the NFL. But there could be a narrative you write with a Camara injury or with some crazy usage that they give him in terms of touchdowns or something like that. You could write a narrative where Latavius Murray's value goes 25% or more higher than where it is right now just due to running back scarcity. So that's kind of how I would break that deal down. I wouldn't even necessarily look at my team versus you know what I need in my starting lineup I'm strictly looking at it as the two assets if they're evenly valued assets like it seems like those two players are I'm looking at which one could there potentially be a narrative where the value explodes so I'd probably take the Murray side there because you can probably fill Golden Tate a lot easier with you know a wide receiver three or wide receiver four that you can get super cheap you know someone like way off the radar like Paul Richardson is someone that I like getting dirt cheap right now and he may not do anything, but you can literally get him for maybe a fourth round pick. Uh, but potentially you could write a story where he gets targets that are not Golden Tate, but they could fill in a lot better than maybe the running back you could get for the same value. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Hey, Scott, let's transition because I want to briefly talk about the FFPC and how you became a two-time main event champion. Because I'll be honest, I, I have like a like a $35 like coupon I need to cash in to, to join and I might just do a best ball league. Because you hear FFPC advertised a lot on different podcasts, but I never really have, have, um, have jumped into the world. So can you tell us just a little bit about it, why you play, 
and how you became champ did it, did it like have is it taken many many years to learn the format and settings and you've gotten better or just something you naturally been good at so yeah i mean i started playing in the ffpc i actually only started playing in 2017 i actually started a dynasty league and it was a 32 team full idp league two copies and we ended up just getting a bunch of random people into the league and you know in the group me chat i befriended somebody that actually is a pretty seasoned high stakes player that's been playing for 20 years. And a friend convinced him to jump in kind of just as a, you know, this was like a $50 dynasty league and he convinced him just to jump in and play. And he was, I guess, really impressed with, you know, some of the stuff I put in the chat and just some of the takes that I had. And he pulled me aside one day and he just messaged me and he said, Hey, you know, I want to bring you on and, you know, play in high stakes with me this year. And he said his partner basically had to hang it up for the season. He was getting married, had some stuff in his life and brought me on. And so essentially we played together for that first season and we really, we really crushed it that first season. We ended up winning one of the main event leagues. And then next year, which was 2018, we really ramped it up and played in the pros versus Joe's. Uh, went to Las Vegas last year, played in five of the main event live drafts, uh, which is uh, really a great time doing that again this year. Uh, but essentially just kind of learned on the job. And I partnered up with somebody that's been doing it for over 20 years and has a pretty decent bankroll. So I'm kind of just getting my feet wet over the last couple of years. But I've brought a lot of the, we're a great compliment because he knows the format. He knows typically the players that we're playing against, uh, kind of knows how uh, many players that play in, in the high stakes are thinking. So he can bring that to the table. And I bring a lot of the, the dynasty knowledge, the player knowledge. I'm more of the strategist for how to build our teams. So it's a really good compliment uh, for our, our team and uh, hoping to have a really great year this year. We did really good last year, but really have ramped it up after we built our bankroll in 2018. Nice. What's what the biggest difference between playing in this high stakes FFPC league versus like, you know, just, just kind of like a normal league, you know, um, like where it's like a $25, $50 buy-in? So I think there's, there's three major differences that I would say in FFPC. First of all, obviously the buy-ins are a lot higher. You know, the main event leagues are almost two grand a pop uh, to play in the league. So it's pretty decent stakes. And you're usually playing against, not always, but you're playing against, uh, if anybody used to play online gaming, any terms of like, you're playing against clans, essentially. You, You have people that have teamed up and they're essentially drafting 200, 300 teams. Ah, and they're going in there. Yeah. So you're playing against people that are, you know, they have a massive bankroll. They're doing this for a living, which I'm, you know, unfortunately I'm not to the point where I'm doing it for a living yet, but that's the competition that you're playing against. But also the format's a little different. So it's, it's kind of a regular redraft format where, you know, you start a quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, two flex, a tight end, a defense and a kicker. And it's 20 man rosters. So it's pretty standard in terms of, you know, redraft, maybe a little bit deeper than what you would see on like Yahoo or ESPN. But, uh, it's tight end premium, so it's one of the only formats out there for redraft that their standard is tight end premium. Uh, but also, there's only you play in a 12 team league, but it's only an 11 week season. So essentially, you only play for 11 weeks, and then your league's playoffs are week 12 and week 13, and then the winner of your league advances to essentially a big tournament where you play all the other winners, 14 through 16. So the one of the biggest wrinkles is essentially this year you have the Vikings, you have the Cardinals, you have the Chargers, and there's one other team I'm trying to think of who it is, but um, the Chiefs, they're, they're all off on week 12. So it really changes the values of, I mean, if you just think of the first round, Melvin Gordon, David Johnson, Dalvin Cook, Travis Kelsey, 
Like you don't want to draft those players where they should go because they're off during the first week of the playoffs. So it really brings that strategy into it, uh, accounting for that bye week. And then also, you know, to win the big money, you have to essentially have a team that hits on all cylinders. So you're, you're going up against people that are drafting 400 teams. So they're, they're taking a lot of risks and they're trying to build essentially that perfect team. So I think that's the biggest difference is you're not just trying to win your league. You need to build a roster that's sustainable that can beat a bunch of other teams when you get to the very end. Any, any trading that goes down in those leagues for like that are high stakes? So there's no trading in FFPC okay. redraft leagues, no trades at all. Um, and we're talking strictly redraft here. Now, obviously they have a sector that does dynasty as well. And there's high stake dynasty leagues and stuff. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, FFPC dynasty leagues. Um, uh, but yeah, for redraft, there's no trades. And, um, you know, the, uh, another caveat that I will say is that these, these leagues are really, really crazy in terms of essentially when you get down to the end of it, when you get to that main event drafts during, there's only two weeks worth of main event drafts at the end of the, the September, right? The beginning of September, end of August. And the craziest part is you will see picks all off the board. I mean, you have, if you want to get your player, you typically have to reach like two rounds to get your player. So it's really, really tight in terms of everyone's looking at the same news. You know, everyone's phones are buzzing. Everyone sees all the, the same things that the real hardcore players are following. So it really, it's hard to get an advantage. and um, you know, you just kind of got to be savvy and try to outmaneuver the other player. It's really a lot like chess and merged into fantasy football. Nice. This sounds like a ton of fun. Very cool. Thanks, th- thanks for the uh, insight into that. Cause you hear a lot about it and um, you know, haven't had a chance to talk to really anyone that's experienced it like you have Scott. I think we'll transition to our listener questions now. Cause we've got some, we want to make sure we have enough time for them. So I'm going to jump into a question. First of all, from Sean who says, quote, I can't resist the urge to have a win-now mentality in startups. How bad am I ruining long-term success for the potential to win in year one by trading future picks and drafting vets near the edge of their careers? From a guy with only one calendar year of Dynasty experience. So, you know, this is a show when we started, we talked about how we're relatively new. What have we been playing, guys? Like three, four years in Dynasty. So we're new to... Um, so, so this is coming from Sean. He's one year in, but he, he can't resist. Scott, he, want, he wants to win now. So how much is it hurting his team if he's going to trade his, uh, his future picks during the startup draft? Well, if you're doing the startup this year, I mean, not to go too far deep in terms of strategy, but I'm, I'm right now, I have a hard time trading the 2020 picks unless it's just an absolute slam dunk in value because I really feel that, you know, first of all, I've, I've been playing dynasty for five or six years now, and I have never seen draft picks being as valued as highly as they are this early in the off season as the 2020s are right now. Um, and I'm, I'm really thinking that the, the value you're going to be able to get for these picks in October and November, when, you know, three or four teams in your league realize that they're not going to win and they're going to start punting. I think you're going to see some amazing value that you're going to be able to get for those 2020 picks then. So I have a hard time trading them in the startup because really, you know, if you're doing that, you're basically taking a lot of risk that you're going to pick the right player. So I'm totally against doing that right now, especially with the 2020s. Cause I think you're going to be able to start seeing, I don't know, top three or four round startup players going straight up for 2021st, you know, when it comes to like November, because the teams that want to, essentially blow their team up, they're going to go to you and say, Hey, you're the one that has all the draft picks. So I'm basically hoarding them right now. And I'm actually 
looking for trades where I can find value, which is where some of my redraft stuff helps. You know, I may have a player that I know I think can outscore a player that's more valued in dynasty and I'll make a swap or maybe I also get a second round pick on top of that. Cause I think I'm going to be able to buy back more with that second round pick in like three or four months. Trey, well, in your experience, um, leagues you started where you maybe did a win down mentality has that hurt your teams so here's the only problem i have with it is first of all you're you're putting yourself in a in in kind of a hole where the only real option for you to be successful is to win year one or year two and i don't care how good you are i don't care if it's julio in the third aj green in the fourth like it's very difficult to win a dynasty league in year one, right? I mean, it's, you have a one in 12 shot. You figure maybe two or three teams are going more like productive struggle looking to the future. I mean, it's still a one in nine shot, right? And, and there's inevitably one or two guys in the league that maybe make mistakes in the draft or they're new to dynasty. But, you know, ultimately what I'm trying to say is, the only real way to be successful if you build a team that way is to win year one or year two. And, and I just don't like to build my dynasty teams that way. I really am trying to look at my dynasty teams more through a five-year window. You know, you look at it more closely through a two or three-year window because you have no clue what things are going to be in five years. But at least you want to have the opportunity or the option. So, you know, for me, obviously in startups, I'm trying to trade down acquire extra picks in the top five or six rounds in the top eight rounds. If it's super flex, you know, if there's deeper starting lineups than, you know, more picks in the top, you know, nine or 10 rounds. So obviously that gives you more shots because, because everyone's going to kind of have their misses. Um, but I just don't like to, I, I like to guy buy young players, not overpay for them, but you know, like carry on Johnson's a great example of a guy I love. I think he's going to increase in value this year. He's young. I think he's going to be productive now, and I think he's got the opportunity to be productive for many years. Um, <clears throat> as opposed to, you know, like, a, you know, David Johnson's a good example, right? Like, he's not an old guy by any means, but, you know, he, he probably has two years um, production left. Running back's probably a bad position to look at when you're talking about that, though. Honestly, it's more – it's really wide receiver, right? Because running back's really – you shouldn't expect more than about a, a two-year, three-year window from your running backs anyway. Um, but I, I would prefer to um, build in some youth. I'm not afraid. Like, I'm, I'm fine. If, if I'm in a super flex league and Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, and Andy Dalton are my three starting quarterbacks, totally fine. Um, and so, you know, I am, am okay with doing it at some positions, but I wouldn't want to do it across the board where, like, 24 months from now, you know, six of my top ten draft picks are likely going to be not productive for my team. That, that's just not the way I like to go about it. But you know what? The, the nice thing about it is, you know, if you play in multiple leagues, just join one league and take that route, right? Just, I mean, if you got the itch to do it, man, join one more league and, you know, go for it. So I don't, I think that's probably the way I'd go about it. You know, just kind of diversify and, and have one league where you take that, take that um, angle. I like that idea because you learn a lot when you go into a startup draft and you just kind of, okay, I usually do this, but let's try it this way. And if you just do it in one league, you're right. Just think, I was thinking um, a couple of years ago, let's say you had a startup draft and you took, you know, guys like Doug Baldwin, you know, uh, Demarius Thomas, Gronk, you'd be pretty excited. Rashawn about McCoy. 
<laughs> LaShawn McCoy. And then now you look at that today, you'd be like, oh boy, can I get anything for these guys? Uh, Will, anything to add? Or should we go to the next question? Well, the only thing I'd say is that don't fall into the trap of a win-now team. Everybody is probably trapping a win-now team at the start of the draft for the most part. If you're trading back, Trey, you're trading back to acquire more assets because you're guessing that you're not going to hit on all your players. That's a win-now mentality. I don't think that that should be written off as that. You can easily win leagues with you know, a few more later round picks than what you had earlier when those players miss and yours hit. Uh, that's not a, a bad strategy at all for win now. The, the win now with age is just because somebody's young doesn't mean they're, they're producing. You need to make sure you're looking at value. You're not reaching for AJ, AJ, or sorry, AJ Green in the second round of a PPR Dynasty Superflex startup uh, because you think you're going to win this year. You're still grabbing a player that could have similar production at a younger age. Don't fall into that trap would be my suggestion. If you're looking at eighth, ninth, tenth round, and you're seeing some more vets that are available now, that's, a, I mean, maybe like 10th, 11th. Uh, I, I haven't looked, but like, that's that kind of Marvin Jones type of player that I see versus grabbing a young receiver. Uh, let's say Marvin Jones versus Curtis Samuel or something like that. Those are decisions I think that are more win now than at the very beginning. And I don't think those are going to, they're not going to tank your team for the future. But you're definitely trying to get current production versus like banking on potential upside of players that you don't necessarily know if they're going to hit the same way. So my advice would just be, Keep one now in perspective as best you can while drafting, uh, and then just do an auction draft. Don't do don't do the same. <laughs> All right, let, let's go to the next question. It's from Corey, and his question is: I, I, He might have been joking about the the main running back he names, but how do you feel about Gus Edwards in the Baltimore backfield? You know that Baltimore Baltimore backfield led by Gus Edwards. So Scott, what do you think? What what do you make of the Baltimore backfield for for Dynasty, or or even just for? Well, you can look at it you know, from a perspective for 2019 and then beyond, what, what do you think? Well, I think that, I mean, obviously the Ravens ran the ball more than anybody last year. And even when you take out Lamar Jackson's opportunity for rushes, you still had over, you know, over 400 potential touches for Ravens running backs last year. So I think you have to pencil Mark Ingram in there. The, the projections I've seen for Mark Ingram are anywhere from like 230 to 250 touches. So if you just figure that there's going to be another 150 or 200 that are available, to the other running backs. I mean, I think for Gus Edwards, the the biggest thing that hurts him is the Ravens are still hanging on to Kenneth Dixon. And so we'll see what happens with Dixon. But a lot of the projections that I've seen already have Dixon out-touching or at least equaling Gus Edwards. So essentially, outside of those two, you know, depending on what rule Justice Hill has, you know, that's another player that he was really productive his sophomore year in college in the receiving game. So I would imagine that they're going to try to get him some work in the receiving game at least so it's a really messy situation uh, but you know before we even project anything for Gus Edwards you know he still has to beat off Kenneth Dixon so if they were to get rid of Kenneth Dixon then I actually would like Gus Edwards as one of those players that's a, a high leverage handcuff because uh, I do think he's a better receiver than he showed last year I mean he actually had you know 13 catches in his last year in college so it's not like he's a complete zero in the receiving game uh, but the Ravens aren't a team that targets their running backs anyway. So if he were somehow to be the direct backup, you know, you could see him. He went through a stretch last year where he was getting, you know, a, a high volume load of carries and he's really effective with it. So I would only like to even consider taking him in a dynasty league if it's really deep and I'm just like collecting running backs. So it, it kind of goes to the strategy of, you know, this time of year, if you're doing a startup or if you're just looking for a bunch of dart throws, like I like collecting running backs at this point during the year because there's so much unknown. Oh, and he's a player that I would collect on the back of my roster, but that's pretty much it. Otherwise, it's Ingram and hopefully Justice Hill. Yeah, I think that you mentioned a great name there in Kenneth Dixon, and I think that 
he's a guy that's really just struggled. You know, he's had injuries. He, he's, he's not really quite gotten the opportunity. I do think that it's going to be Mark Ingram's backfield. And, and I think in redraft, Mark Ingram is going to be a huge value um, if he can stay healthy, which obviously, you know, the running back position is, an, is a position that's prone to injury. And I don't remember off the top of my head whether Ingram's 28 or 29, but I think that the usage there is going to be I – mean, I mean, when you look at Mark Ingram and you look at the other running backs on that roster, like I think that Ingram stands – uh, pretty significantly above the others as far as talent and ability. He can catch the ball. Um, he, he's, you know, obviously benefited from playing with uh, Drew Brees and the Saints for the past several seasons. And um, obviously that, but, but, but I really think that playing with Lamar Jackson there in that offense, you know, it's, it's the, it's the run heaviest offense in the NFL. I, I think Ingram can have a really good year. I do think Kenneth Dixon is going to get a shot if anything happens to Ingram, if he goes down. Um, and I do think Justice Hill is kind of the wild card um, and, and is a fun guy. He's a guy that I've added on a few teams. Although I feel like he started to creep up a little higher than where I'm comfortable taking him in, in rookie drafts. A couple of late rookie drafts I've had, he started to slip. There, there was one where he went like in the, I want to say like the 205, um, 204 range. Um, as a matter of fact, there was one where he went, uh, it's a super flex league and he went ahead of Daniel Jones and allowed me to s- swipe up Jan- Daniel Jones there in the mid second. So, um, I do like justice Hill, but for me, it's, it's Mark Ingram or bust in the, in the Ravens backfield this offseason or for this upcoming season. Poor Gus Edwards being in the NFL. Uh, he rushed for a little over 700 yards last year, uh, which was more yards than Karen Johnson. Not, not that they played the same amount of games or started or in the same roles or anything like that. Just kind of a fun stat. But uh, he's, he's an exclusive rights free agent next year. Uh, and so he's going to make 570 k going into this season. And then he literally can't sign with another team next year even if he does well. Like, Gus Edwards is, is one of the reasons the NFL is horrible uh, with their contracts. So if Mark Ingram, let's say Mark Ingram goes down or gets picked up with an ankle injury and Gus Edwards ascends, and let's say he's, he's showing a little bit more and has progressed as a pass catcher, is, is crushing on the team. Uh, his, his future is very, very interesting. So the – not, not that we should overanalyze Gus Edwards, but uh, that, those kind of contracts and that kind of player, I don't see having a long-term fit in the NFL. And it's kind of sad that money would dictate that, but I, I could see that really affecting uh, him overall as far as like a, a narrative street. And because Mark Ingram has never really had the full starting role to himself ever since he's been in the league. So you kind of see him getting banged up, missing a few games here and there. But uh, the Gus bus is, is somebody I, I wish I, I wish had a brighter future, but I don't think he does. Yeah, with that nickname too, the Gus Bus. Oh, it's one of the best. Hey, there's a question from Billy Redwood. Will you want to take that one? Billy Redwood, loyal listener. My, my question for you, Scott, is, is what's the tipping point on the value of 2020 first-round picks? Let's say uh, middle, middle, you know, middle of the first round. It's basically a crapshoot of the first-round pick for 2020. So I was just kind of cruising before you chatted. I was just looking at the, the Dyson Trade Calculator. In a mid-2021 first, in a super flex full PPR league, and I went just straight running backs because I feel like that's the most uh, common subject that these are revolved around. And he's within two and a half points of – or it's sorry, the, the pick is within two and a half points of Sonny Michelle, Leonard Fournette, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Dave Montgomery, Aaron Jones, Kerryon Johnson. And then Derek Henry actually falls two and a half points lower than that. But the long and short of this all would be if, when you're looking at your 2021st at this moment, 
are we nearing potentially peak value before we hit the college football season and see injuries fall out? Maybe the draft classes and all it's been built up to be that with all the podcasts and, and general community that this, this 2020 class is going to blow the world away with running backs. Do you see a potential of, of that not playing out? And are you leveraging that anywhere? Well, I think like I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that I'm very adamant that I do not buy running backs over the summer unless they're dirt cheap or they're free throw-ins. Uh, like I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, I think one of the, the big things that people tend to do that I think is a big mistake right now is we're in that dead period. You know, most of your rookie drafts are over. There's not a lot of new information that's coming out. It's mostly, you know, rehashed hype that we heard during mini camps and OTAs and you see a player get talked up or you see a beat writer expect a big season for somebody. And so people immediately go, okay, I'm looking at my team and I need a running back or I need to get a better receiver. And they will go out and they'll look to immediately fill that role in, in June. So I'll trade a 2020 first for say Damian Williams or something like that. Now, is it fair value? If you plug it in a trade calculator or you ask somebody's opinion, they might say, Oh yeah, that's a fair trade. But I don't like making that move right now because if something could happen and that really could blow up in your face. If there could be an injury, there could be something unexpected that happens with their roles. And you know, you're stuck essentially without a movable asset. Whereas, you know, the draft picks not going to do anything but go up in value. And like I said earlier, you know, I think there's going to be an opportunity where you're going to be able to get even more for that draft pick in October or November. So I actually like making the moves to where I can sell those running backs. And especially if you look at just say the running backs that are outside of say the top 15 in the dynasty ADP right now. So if you group in there, guys like Devonte Freeman, Kenyon Drake, Damian Williams, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Marlon Mack. I mean, you can write a narrative where all of these guys' jobs are threatened next year. And I don't want to be stuck with a team where that's my core of running backs. Because unless, you know, someone like Aaron Jones or Marlon Mack, unless they blow it up this season and stay healthy, we're going to be talking next February or March. Okay, are the Packers going to draft a running back? Okay, are the Colts going to draft a running back? So you're going to see that automatic uh, value decline on those players, even if they have decent seasons. So I'm not wanting to use, you know, my 2020 picks to buy any of those players next year. The only running backs I'll buy is if I'm getting a good deal on someone that's locked into a rookie contract. So Trey mentioned like carry on Johnson, you know, even if you don't like carry on Johnson, I think there's an element of safety with him. You know, you're going to get two more years of him at least to where the lions are probably not going to draft another running back on day two to replace him unless he's injured or is a complete bust. So I like investing in guys with rookie contracts, or I like investing in players that are up in, you know, it's probably too hard to pay and get the real elite guys, but you know, someone like Joe Mixon or James Connor or someone like that, that I think maybe you could write a narrative that they're a little safer for the foreseeable future. So that's the kind of running back I'm pursuing now. I'm not buying these fringe guys that, you could potentially see replaced. So hopefully that answers a question. But yeah, I'm not making those move now. I'm holding on to the picks. I'm just curious about the idea of overpaying for players. You know, overpaying, like we just referenced the, you know, uh, Dynasty Trade Calculator. So do you ever do it or, or are there certain situations where you want to do it? You know, for example, you're a contender and you, you feel like you're missing a piece so you'll go out and overpay. And if you ever do, are there players you're targeting and willing to overpay for now? before the season starts? I mean, there are a few players that I would go out and overpay for, but I think, again, it's just kind of what I just said. They have to be locked into some sort of security going forward where I'm not taking a lot of risk because there's a lot of unknown information right now, and I'd rather trade 
with the most information on the table, which is typically going to be closer to the season. So I'm, I'm actually the opposite. You know, I'm willing to sell the players that others are willing to overpay for and think that I can buy back the value later. So there's very few players I will buy. If I had to pick one, I would say that there are two right now that I know these are kind of the hot players that are coming out from uh, the, the latest Dynasty Command Center podcast. But I think Rashad Penny is somebody that you can still get a pretty good value on right now. Uh, you know, he checks all of the boxes and essentially he is only quote unquote behind uh, another starter in Chris Carson that has essentially dealt with injuries for the last five years of his career, going all the way back to uh, even before his days at Oklahoma state. And so I think Penny's somebody that could easily, you could see him up in that teen range, you know, top 12, top 16 of running backs next year. And he's locked into his contract for on a rookie deal for another three years. So I think he's a safe buy that I'm willing to pay overpay a little bit for. Uh, and then DJ Moore is another one that same thing. You know, I think he's really insulated with his value. You've seen what his value has done and he really hasn't produced to anything close to where he's being valued at. But I think that's insulated just the way that the, the community treats receivers with his draft capital and his metrics. You know, his value is going to stay insulated. I mean, look at where Corey Davis's value is right now. I mean, you can still get, mid to late first round pick for Corey Davis. And, you know, it, that would, you would say if DJ Moore's first two seasons do what Corey Davis's did, then, you know, that would be kind of the low end of expectation. So those are two players I'm willing to pay a little bit more than market value right now for. Trey said something interesting the other day in the chat. I, I think I might have the trade run, but he was asking uh, about basically what, what you would give up for Kyler Murray. And we got to talking about, you know, Kyler Murray as being a guy that if you believe in him, now may, may be the cheapest you could get him. It, it's a, a tremendous risk to go out and trade for Kyler Murray. But, I mean, this may be as, as low as it's going to get, right? Assuming he explodes, we think he's at least going to have a floor with his running ability. So what do you think about that, Scott? If, if there's like a – maybe this is like – are we being um, – is that foolish because he's kind of like the hotness coming into the league that, you know, we see that potential and we're just kind of like – like seeing this like best case scenario in our eyes where, you know, he could be the next Patrick Mahomes. He's going to win leagues for people. Or is that a smart thing to do? If you, if you think he's going to blow up, would you run out and get a guy like Kyler Murray? Well, I think the context matters with super flex leagues. You know, I've, I've taken the approach of the last year because uh, I was somebody that really always hoarded quarterbacks, like in 12 team super flex leagues. But we're starting to see if you go down the list of quarterbacks in the NFL, I mean, it's like Trey mentioned earlier, you know, if you have Andy Dalton, you know, he's quarterback, what, 28 right now. And that's a guy that you can at least get potentially a mid quarterback two season for. So really in 12 team super flex leagues, the scarcity is not there to where, you know, I'm really willing to pay up for quarterbacks unless I can get one of those top five or six at a decent value. That's really the, the moves you can make in super flex leagues are if you are holding on to a Baker Mayfield or a Patrick Mahomes or an Andrew Luck you can usually get a nice piece on top of those guys and then downgrade to, you know, someone that still has some safety like a Dak Prescott or Mitchell Trubisky or someone like that. But it's really hard unless you get, unless you think Kyler Murray is going to elevate himself into that Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Andrew Luck tier, then I don't really like giving up much value to move inside that second quarterback tier, which is usually like quarterback seven to 20. You know, to me, they're almost all interchangeable where you could see a scenario where all of them produce a quarterback one season. So I think it really depends. If you really like Kyler Murray, I would agree that if you think he's the next Deshaun Watson or the next Baker Mayfield and his value is just going to explode, then 
you know, pay for him right now. And then you could potentially sell him for more later next off season. Yeah. And that's one of the things when I look at my teams, I, I, most of my Superflex leagues, um, I, I invest heavily in the quarterback. So I already have a pretty solid quarterback situation. So I look at my team and I'm like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to be taking this risk a lot of the time, but. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to Kyler Murray and, you know, Scott, you mentioned another name that I think for me is what kind of insulates Kyler Murray's value. And that's Baker Mayfield. Like I look at trying to acquire Baker Mayfield right now in the Superflex dynasty league, you're going to have to pay through the nose and he's really not proven that he deserves to be valued that highly. And my perspective is that in 12 months, I think Kyler Murray will be worth more than Baker Mayfield. <clears throat> because I expect Kyler Murray as from a fantasy perspective to probably have a better rookie season than Baker Mayfield did. I mean, Mayfield had a good rookie season season. I think he had like 3,700 yards and um, 27 or 28 touchdowns uh, and about half that many, like 14, I think interceptions. But I think what Kyler Murray is going to add in the rushing game is going to be a nice little boost for him. And I do think that despite all of the, the Kingsbury hate, I do think that, one, Arizona's defense is going to be awful. And I do think that they're going to run four wide a lot. I think they're going to pass the ball a lot. And I think they're going to put him in position to succeed. Quick passing game. I think they're going to get David Johnson involved, both running and in the passing game. And so I, I just think that Kyler Murray is one of those guys, if you like him, um, if you want to add a, a dynamic, dynamic young quarterback to your dynasty team I think that now is the cheapest he's ever going to be like his value is so well insulated I mean Baker is just skyrocketing and when you look at his production last year it wasn't really deserving of this massive but he's young he was a number one overall pick last year and I think probably you know the attention the Browns have been getting this year helps that but that's kind of my thought my thought is you know last year it was going to be you know much cheaper to acquire Baker than it is now and um, I expect Murray to have at least a very similar season as far as fantasy production to Baker Mayfield. So, um, and he's not a guy I'm going to, you know, ridiculously overpay for, but he's a guy that I'm definitely, especially once the rookie, you know, when the rookie draft's going on and he's going one-on-one, it's kind of hard then because everyone's real excited. But when we hit the lull of the, you know, the, the middle of July, you know, it, it, it might be worth, going and, and kicking the tires. Well, and uh, Baker Mayfield's production, just quickly, last year, was he started that second half in that first game, then he had 13 games after that. And whatever game they played in Week 16, didn't, I mean, they were playing, I think, the uh, Steelers for the Steelers' like playoffs. But, but anyway, their, their game didn't matter to the Browns overall like too much. I think, I think Baker Mayfield put up some good stats. So this would be hyped up. And the way they added pieces – and changing in offensive coordinators, that's a good gamble on upside. But, yeah, I think, I think that's, that value is too high as well because it's only been one year. But, anyway, and my, my last comment was just, uh, Scott, I was listening to your last uh, – one, well, one of your recent podcasts about undervalued slash kind of like running backs that you might as well scoop up and have on your roster. And you, you, you chatted about Deion Lewis. And that's one of the more interesting running back uh, dichotomies that I, I like in the NFL that I want, I want to scoop up Deion Lewis because I feel like – Derrick Henry's coming to a point where he's a little bit overpriced, in my opinion. We've had this discussion before. But tell us what you think about Deion Lewis. Yeah, Deion Lewis, I think, is a buy for me simply because of what we talked about earlier, that he's basically just being forgotten. And he actually posted some decent numbers last season that could actually show that he could be useful 
you know, at least in a spot start or especially in deeper leagues, I typically play in leagues where there's at least 11 starters or more. So some of this stuff applies more to those type of leagues. If you're in a league where it's only, you know, start eight or nine, then he's probably not going to be somebody that really has any value because there's a threshold to where, you know, players outside of a certain realm aren't really going to have a lot of trade value. But, you know, I think with Derrick Henry, he's one of the most interesting cases in dynasty because he's going to be a free agent. And if you've seen what, there's kind of like the haves and have nots with free agent running backs. I mean, you've seen what David Johnson got paid, what Todd Gurley got paid, what Le'Veon Bell got paid, probably what Ezekiel Elliott's going to get paid. And the two big ones next year are Derrick Henry and Melvin Gordon. And I have a hard time seeing a scenario where either of those guys are up for a contract that's anywhere close to those other names that we talked about, especially with the incoming 2020 class. So you know, not that Derrick Henry is not going to be someone that performs in 2020 or in 2019, uh, but Deion Lewis is essentially just being forgotten. And, you know, I think he's someone that you can get added in a deal, especially in a deeper league for, for dirt cheap. So that's the reason I was on him simply because of what he could be projected to do versus where his dynasty ADP is right now. Cause it's way down there, but I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do with Derrick Henry. Cause I can see they're kind of flirting with disaster. If they go out and give him this workload and he holds up to it, and puts together anything close to what he did in the second half of last season. Cause then it's going to be, do you give him a massive contract? And I don't think you can pay a running back that doesn't give you really anything in the receiving game like Henry. So I think that's going to be a really interesting scenario for the Titans. Do they let him walk? Cause if they don't pay him, someone will pay him. I mean, someone will pay him if he has a really good season, just given his profile and, you know, given how that type of running backs really unique in the NFL today. Very interesting, Deion Lewis, just looking at him. I didn't realize he ranked number 27 according to the PPR rankings I'm looking at. Number yeah, he had almost 60 catches last year. That's right. He was uh, number 15 in running backs with, in targets and number 11 in catches of, of, of running backs. That's amazing. And just like, one touchdown, too, like overall. Yeah, just nobody is talking about him. And, yeah, whether it's an injury or just a guy, like you're right, in a deeper league, you can plug into the flex with with those numbers. I mean, he's startable in a deeper league, that's for sure. So, interesting. Well, and another thing is, you know, the Titans, if you look at their their plays run last year and their pass attempts, it was ridiculously low because of the injuries they dealt with with Mariota. So if you just look at the average projections that they could have, I, I was looking at it a couple of weeks ago, and it's almost 100 more pass attempts from their offense uh, from last year to this year that are being projected. So if you just take, even if he goes down a little bit in terms of like his market share, I, I don't see a way that, because Henry doesn't give you much in the passing game, I just don't see a way that he doesn't get at least 40 to 50 catches. And that's a floor. If there's an injury or, you know, something happens where they find something on offense where they use him a lot more uh, than they did last year, then you know, I think he's a great value. Because you can literally get him for, what, maybe a, late third round pick or just to throw I don't really like to pay picks for players like that because as soon right. as you go to the owner and you say hey I want Deion Lewis well his price just went up like 30 percent because you asked for him right so right. more he's like hey throw him into the deal for me that's the kind of way I like to acquire someone like him but yeah I think he'd be a great production value for one year hey well that was a great question to highlight Scott's podcast um, Dynasty and Chill because one of, the, one of the great things about it you had this series where you're looking at projections for the year at different positions and guys you think are value so it's well worth the listen. Also, what I love about that podcast, it's, it's short, you know, it's digestible. So if you just have a short commute to work, you know, it's 15, 20 minutes. So it's great. I'm a big fan. One of my favorite new dynasty podcasts. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. 
we're running out of time here. So can we close it out by telling us where we can find you, what you're working on, that kind of thing, Scott? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm usually on Twitter, like a lot of us are on Twitter all the time. Uh, it's at Charles Chill FFB. Uh, I am one of the analysts at Dynasty Command Center, so check that out at DynastyCommandCenter.com. It's basically a, a, a paywall Slack chat, and it's it's really just buzzing 24/7. Sometimes I have to silence my phone because it's blowing up so much. So it's a really great community over there uh, with all the guys on the the DCC staff. And then yeah, the two podcasts, uh, Dynasty and Chill. I try to keep it uh, like you said, Ryan. I try to keep it. 10 to 15 minutes, just like a quick hit of information where it's really only one or two topics uh, per show. So it doesn't really go into the weeds like sometimes I like to do when I get talking about this stuff. Uh, and then the dynasty scope is actually the opposite. You know, that's usually over an hour. And what we try to do on that is take a specific format of a league and really break it down uh, from a startup strategy and from a trade value strategy, because it does vary so much. You know, if you're talking about a, a start nine single QB league versus a start 13 you know, point per carry super flex leagues. I mean, literally the same player can have values that are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So we try to really do a breakdown on a specific league format on that show. So yeah, check out those shows and then Twitter and Dynasty Command Center. Yeah, the Dynasty Scope. I've only listened to admittedly one episode. We have like six or seven out. Um, but but it, you're right. Like there is one where you talk about a 16 team league and how you approach a sort of draft differently and building your roster. So Settings matter so much. We talk about that on this show all the time. And, and that show was really interesting to me, how you approach those 16 team leagues. So also well worth a listen. So check out those podcasts. Scott, thank you for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Um, we are at FF Joes on Twitter. We're the Fantasy Joes. We appreciate you listening. You can also become a Patreon supporter. Go to patreon.com slash Fantasy Joes and check it out. Patreon supporters get a bonus episode twice a month during the off season so you want to check that out so on behalf of trey barrett and will greenwood i'm ryan livergood and we are the fantasy joes keep yourself up and five years